0: Fifty years ago, people gathered in a small park in Carbondale, Colorado to celebrate art, music, and community. That gathering became the Carbondale Mountain Fair. Hear the voices, stories, and sounds as we take you on a journey of 50 years of the fair.
1: the songs and dances came from one thing and that's a spirit the medicine the medicine of the people the drum of the heart beat of all people and today I, i believe that we we are here to dance and share uh songs and dances and words and also The spirit of what is going on today in our world, and that's the unity of all races in this world, to finally have the consciousness to be together and to learn. And we as Native people have been learning uh, your ways. Uh, we really appreciate that. I do personally and many people do. But today in our language, today we say Wana Opatuki Watchhanlo. That means today is sacred. Today is holy. Not because it's Sunday. Because every day is to carry our ways. And to spread the word today that We must be together.
2: Cynics will smirk, believers will swoon, Puritans will shudder, and wannabes will shrink into wallflowers as your friends and neighbors prepare to ride that drum wave right out of Sopras Park past the eagles and the rainbows and the frolicking unicorns out to the very beating center of life. Let yourself go. Dance like everyone's watching. It's Dionysian, it's primal, it's perfect. It's the Drum Circle that begins every Carbondale Mountain Fair. The Drum Circle has only been around for 22 of the Mountain Fair's 50 years, but it is beloved by one and all. Here is Lori Loeb, mother of the Mountain Fair and master of its drum circle, and Luke Nestler. Apprentice Bedrock Bass Drum.
3: That evolved out of the fireball and You know, we were 15 minutes after the fair started on Friday. There was this giant fireball that uh, went from the west side of the park across the street. And, uh, I mean, it was just phenomenal. I was standing right under it when it happened. It blew out all the electricity in the park, so we had no sound system. So, Thomas, I, I was scheduled to do drum circles in the Oasis on Saturday and Sunday. So he suggested that I run home, and I only live, you know, a block from the park, run home and get my drums, and we'll have some acoustic drumming. So I did, and within 45 minutes of the power going out, we had a drum circle of some 80 people. So it was called, the we decided it was the commemorative fireball drum circle, and it became tradition. And we've had it ever since then. I think many people don't know of its origin. Uh, From 80 people, that first drum session, um, we now have usually over 400. And uh, in in my mind, it is just the perfect vehicle for bringing people together, bringing every kind of person imaginable, all ages, all ethnicities, all backgrounds, all abilities. Um, Because we come together in one pulse. And, you know, that pulse uh, is the glue that... Provides cohesiveness and, and that enables people to work together and uh, it just brings everyone into this harmonious state that sets the tone for the weekend I have people tell me that they come only to the drum circle and then they don't come back to Mountain Fair I mean people who've been around for a long long time um, but, and, and other people say it's just the highlight for them they still love every aspect of the fair but the the highlight. It is a very, very special moment. And you know another thing that's very interesting. It seems like the drum circle generates an energy beyond what we feel. But there are always weather phenomena that occur.
4: One year with the very first downbeat of the of the circle, rains just started pouring down and with the last note of the drum circle they stopped and it never rained again the whole weekend it was like we used it all up and and when the rain came it and it got harder and harder and harder and people were just ecstatic with it um it it was very very tribal and the The water was bouncing off the drum heads and people were getting totally drenched. Nobody was prepared for it. Um, And and it was great and fun. Um, Other times there have been uh, rainbows, double rainbows, triple rainbows that happen. Another time I remember um, some eagles were circling overhead. And it seems like the energy draws in elements of the natural world. Yeah. Yeah, and that we, we're all connected. I mean, we're not only connected with one another, we're connected with the greater realm. I feel totally overjoyed and grateful that the community has bought into this this uh, bonding experience. And it really is a perfect way to bring all the people together, of every ilk imaginable. Um, when everybody gets in, in sync in one heartbeat, uh, it, it creates a sense of connectedness for everyone as well as a, a sense of joy and exhilaration. And uh, I just always feel high, super high from it, and, and grateful to the community.
5: There's something that, it's a concept called entrainment. There's a moment where everybody is on the same beat. It's the only thing I know where everybody can talk at the same time and mean something, and that's drumming. And when you fall into that groove, it's obvious when you're in the drum circle drumming, you hear it and and you can feel it. It's like Shakti going up and down your spine. And everybody knows it. Everybody feels it at the same time. So, yes, and it's a spiritual thing. It really is because you are sort of entraining into the universal thing. You know, it's just, uh, uh, yeah, And, and, you know, that's what you remember when it's all over. You might remember the rain that happens while you're drumming or the wind or the eagles or whatever it is that happened. But the thing that really gets in your body and in your mind is that moment when everybody comes together and we're all on the same wave. It's pretty Perfect. cool. It's really cool.
2: Apologies to Joni Mitchell, but most of the time we do know what we've got here in Carbondale. We're trying not to pave too much of our paradise, and the live music from the Ben Reed Memorial Gazebo stage every year at Mountain Fair is mostly excellent, not only because it's free, but because it's multi-genre and features an appealing mix of local bands for whom the fair stage is the biggest gig of their lives. The front-range bands looking to go regional and find an audience in a Colorado ski town. To the well-known bands who tour nationally in big buses and want to get a gig in the summertime Rocky Mountains. The Carbondale Mountain Fair has seen a lot of stellar shows over 50 years, and will play some of it thanks to the archival recordings of Mountain Fair by Katie and k But first, let's listen to Lori Loeb, Ron Leach, Tom Folker, Wick Moses, and Carla Lewis remember the music at the early mountain fairs.
4: Dusty Drapes and the Dusters. Magic music, which I loved. They were um, flute and tabla and sitar. You know, music like that was was quite popular then. Um, So I do remember those two. You know, these were... um, Unknown bands, and so we uh, we got them very cheaply, and we put them up in our houses here in town, and we got the food vendors, of whom there were very few at the time, to donate uh, meals for them. So it, it was a real community effort.
6: Well, I think the music
4: really was a uh, the biggest the biggest. Um
6: part of the Mountain Fair, when, when we started having music there, that cemented, I guess, the, the Mountain Fair for the long run. Great, great music, great music. You know, they played, uh, they played on a stage underneath that uh, picnic area there for a couple of years in the mid 70s, you know, the picnic area there. Well, that was, the stage was set up in the end of that down there. And so that's how small the Mountain Fair was in those days. And everybody was able to get into that area, and the band was on one end of that little picnic area, and then everybody else was underneath the picnic area, so there wasn't many people. This was in the real early days of the fair.
7: And then we had a business here in town that was uh, Main Street Music, and uh, that was Wick Moses and John Freytag. And they furnished the sound systems for the fair, as I remember and uh, it, you know they they just did they were really into good high quality sound and so it was fun to have outdoor music that had such a such a good sound to it i don't think the neighbors appreciated it much because i think they could pretty much blow everybody off their lounge chair with the the speakers they had they had a speaker that set up in the middle of the stage up real high that they called the lips of god Shortly after that, I met Lori Loeb, and she was planning Fair Number One, and offered to, uh, I, and I offered to do the sound system because I was really desperate for business, I, and I figured, you know, maybe I could make, you know, sell some PA's, and I cobbled together a system, thanks to the help of a speaker company in Littleton, and also I was a, a Crown dealer, and we came over. I came over on, on Friday afternoon. And the flatbed truck that H.P. Hansen had set up with the stage was constructed, and I brought my gear over, and we worked. Set it, I plugged it in and set it up, and it worked. And I actually used my Crown four-channel tape deck as the mixer. I was thinking about the music that's
6: come over that stage over the years, and my my gosh, um, the local music. I was thinking of in particular the. Uh, The Aspen Bands and the Carbondale Bands, uh, the local musicians, uh, T. Ray Becker, the late, great Tommy Ray Becker, Bobby Mason. Um, You know, the Chicago area sent a lot of musicians out to the valley in the 80s, the 70s and the 80s. Some of the older musicians from uh, Chicago, including... You know, I don't know if you ever knew Gail Spiegel, but she was a Chicago singer. And her boyfriend, Freddie Hoover. And um, of course, Karen Tepegian was from Chicago. Carbondale was like a caterpillar in those days. It was just opening up and being a butterfly.
7: The event that I remember most vividly was in 1975. We had started booking bands from Denver and got a group to close out Saturday night. At that time, the fair went to 11 p.m. And for the band, it, 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 and the band that we got really, really rocked out and lit up the crowd. And when it got time to close at 11, uh, Lori told them to wind down. Instead, they tightened, they tightened the spring up. And lo and behold, it turned into this, you know, the boogie monster came out. The crowd started yelling for more. And, and Lori and I stood up on the stage, and and you know after they left, and you know all these people were you know wildly wanting to have more entertainment, and we kind of just looked at each other and went, well, what do we do now? And of course at that time, Carbondale only had a couple of cops, and they weren't there, and we did not have a peace patrol, and so it was really you know and, and it, it, the good news for it was. That after, you know, after a while it already kind of dissipated because of course it, it wasn't a huge crowd. After that you know the music ended at nine on Saturday nights the poem the next year and you know that you know, that of course really helped. and you know it, it, it also began to really mellow things out you know having a close you know stopping at nine and that's the way things have remained kind of ever since. The music itself, was I had had gone ahead and contacted one of my DU friends, Brent Warren, who was a really, really good guitar player, really funny guy, and also was a magician. And he came up and played uh, for it. And also Chris Williamson, who I'd also gone to DU with. And Chris at that time was just really beginning her career as a folk musician. And she uh she had established a really good a good reputation and had a couple had an album out. And she flew out from California and performed. And also the Ginger Cookies, which was a local group of, of, of Carbondale women, performed. It was a really kind of nice, mellow, relaxed weekend and there were no problems. Yeah, the sirens were the sirens were a fixture. I mean they played every single year. And I uh, you know, one one thing I remember about them was know, yeah, they did a version of, of uh, It's a Beautiful Day's White Bird one year, and they, and they actually had a dove in a case that they released as part of the song.
0: <laughs> you know, Roberta, my sister, was in that band, and, and my parents were out here visiting for that, too. And, um, you know, my mom was trying to tape that. And we were all, you know, in front of the band. And, and she was sticking her microphone in the plant in front of the band. And, and you can kind of hear on the recording, it's like, Rob, sing into the plant, sing into the plant. Well, from what she told me, um, they were formed at Carbondale Fair. They got together, and it was the Sirens of Swing One Night Stand Band. And they just put it together for one of the early Carbondale fairs. And it just went on from there. And um, yeah, I would love to see them play again. I don't know if everybody's available to do it, but that would be very cool if they did. Um, and everyone just loved dancing to them. I mean, they'd have everybody down on the ground, squirming around and jumping up and down. And it was something that everybody
8: of all ages loved.
0: You know, there's so much a part of Car- you know Carbondale fair history
8: you know the
7: funny person who stands out, of course, is old Joe, who was, you know, and I, I, you know, I hesitate to use probably the politically incorrect, you know, phrase, the village idiot. Joe was a little slow, and uh, who used to show up every year for the, you know, at the fair and and dance. And I've got a, I've got a wonderful picture of him dancing around on the when it was cut it there was concrete in front of the stage. But, you know, it's amazing to think about, you know, how many of those, how many of those older people ended up realizing that, you know, that, that this was really a good thing.
2: Thomas Lawley displayed a talent for booking up-and-coming bands that were on their way to stardom, but not there yet. Leftover Salmon in 1991 and String Cheese Incident in 1996 are good examples of that. Here we have Terry Glasnap, Bob Schultz, and Jeff Dickinson remembering the music of that era, the 80s and the 90s.
9: John McEwen and his son with The Sirens of Swing as the closing song on Sunday night of whatever year that was, Will the Circle Be Unbroken? But the innovation was that Elva McDowell, one of the Siren's singers, wrote a verse specifically about Colorado. And I have that verse on tape, and I can make out most of it. And then I think the other really big one for me in those years was Cabaret Diosa. <laughs> Unbelievable um, talent across the spectrum musically when they would parade out into the crowd. Mm-hmm. And it was really like magic for me to have that kind of talent. Um, and, and really, um, at the bottom of it, um, embrace and welcoming and love. And I think that's probably what was infusing Thomas's efforts. He moved here for the job of, um, I think it was a combined, combined job, the Arts Council and the Fair. And he really branched it out from what I knew previously in terms of events And that included um, also a spectrum of mediums from cowboy poetry and poetry of a more um, um, literature-oriented style, a Latino um, theater company, Su Teatro, he brought, and then bigger names. Richie Havens, Leo Kotke, Eliza Gilkerson, and um, those are the ones that stand out to me.
10: There are two that uh, were special to me because I was really involved in both of them, but there were lots of bands that other people brought forward that turned out being uh, wonderful. But the two for me were a group called Canal, And this was really before, you know, things like fire dancing became uh, pretty common. They were in Guatemala, and uh, they were trying to get back to America and line up some gigs. And they had a cassette tape, and Thomas gave it to me and said, tell me what you think about this. And I put the tape in, and the very first song, was based on a Hebrew chant, the Kodoish, 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 Adonai, Zabayoth. And uh, in that uh, system, it's thought that the angels are vibrating that chant at the feet of God for eternity. And I didn't hardly make it through the first song, and I called Thomas up and said, and if I have to put up the money myself, we got to get this band here. And uh, so it turned out it worked out and they they just blew my mind. They were so wonderful and they brought such a, a great energy and so then over time things like fire dancing and the performance art aspects and the silks and all that have really developed into something that now it wouldn't stand out, but back then it really did. And the other one was Ronder, Yonder Mountain String Band. Uh, I was uh, on a string cheese incident uh, email list back, Oh, this is early 90s, and one of the members of the band kept posting on the list saying links to uh, soundboard tapes of their shows. And one day I just got curious and I clicked the link and listened to them and uh, Jeff Austin's uh, mandolin playing just was on fire. And so Thomas was kind of skeptical, but Jeff, uh, the chameleon, Jeff Dickinson, got Thomas to go up to Aspen. They were playing somewhere up there, and, uh, and they saw him live, which I had not uh, yet seen him live. And we were able to book them, and it was right when they broke. And they had played on Saturday morning at Rocky Grass, and and it hadn't gone very well. And uh, they showed up to Carbondale pretty, pretty down in the dumps. And uh, they got, <laughs> got on stage, and the crowd just went berserk. And it was one of those nights where Gene was wanting to pull the plugs on the electricity because. Um, they they went out for a third encore and it was at least 9:15 or whatever the time was. We were more than 15 minutes over and we kept telling Gene just one more song, one more song. And uh, when they when they left, we used to have a guest book. I don't know whatever happened to it, where uh, bands would you know write like you do when you stay at a B and B or something. And the one from Yonder Mountain that I recall was, this is the best gig we've ever had. And I'm sure bands feel like that a lot of nights after a good gig. But it was just something where it hit them on exactly the right night after a rough gig where the crowd really got what they were doing. And uh, so it was pretty magical to me. I had uh, a real interest in the uh, onstage entertainment And it was pretty competitive to get involved in that, sort of like the pie contest was as well, uh, being a pie judge. And I think it was the second year when Thomas asked me to get involved in the entertainment. And that really took me from intrigued to committed because it was ever so much fun and people were totally crazy and there was screaming and yelling and people very passionate about what kind of music should be on the stage and the meetings were uh, really really crazy and that was it. I was hooked. So back then we uh, we would send out the uh, invitations to apply to a lot of managers and bookers and on a typical year we'd have 120, sometimes more uh, bands that would offer their services, and they would be categorized by genre, roughly like rock and folk rock and bluegrass and blues and so forth. And different people would get assigned a different category, and you became the sort of the host for that category and you would present uh, all of the bands in your category that you thought were worthy of of a listen. So if I had a category, I might have 15 bands, and I would try and listen to them pretty intently, and if there were four or five that I thought were really good, I would hone in on them and try and find uh, music that was representative We had categories for criteria for rating them, and and we would explain why we thought they would would rate okay. And then you had to face the group, and you would play snippets. Some bands might only make it for 10 seconds before the screaming and yelling to make it stop went on, and that would hurt a little bit uh, if you were into that band. But it was a messy process, but uh, overall, I think it it worked pretty well. Once we got narrowed down to uh, the bands that we liked, then we had to do the reality sandwich of can we make it worth their while, because we didn't pay nearly as well as we pay today. And uh, we still aren't, you know, making people rich, but compared to what we were paying back then. And uh, so then the realities of whether we could make it work for them to come to Carbondale during that time. And once we had that, uh, the the fair had gone from pretty heavy rock, bring your own alcohol, and that was the period where the police had the most interest in what music we were presenting, and they were, you know, wanting to hear that we weren't just going to have two and a half days of hard rock or punk. And there were there were a couple of bands along the years that were not really punk, but from the perspective of a police officer, they seemed like punk. And um, it really wasn't that elaborate of a thing. It was, and and as the fair kind of transitioned into something a little more family. I mean, it was always kind of family-oriented, but uh, less fights and less people abusing alcohol. That really became pretty pro forma.
11: So we had an a entertainment committee that we would all work together. So people would apply, and they would submit their cassette tapes, and we would uh, create We created these score sheets, and we'd have a committee of, eight or ten people and we would sit around, you know, like everybody would get like six tapes, six bands to listen to. And you would you know, so you'd pre-select them and you'd figure out where on the tape you wanted to play for the committee. So we'd, you know, go to, to our house, I remember, or some other place and you would just, you know, we'd listen to it and you'd, you know, you'd rate them on different things like, you know, professionalism, quality. Um, uniqueness and then always the favorite one is fair appeal so you'd rank them you know on a scale of one to ten and how did you know what was their score and then you know you you try to divide it up into different categories and you know these were not necessarily sober events (laughs) um it was quite a bit of fun where every everybody was enjoying it and really getting into the music and you know being passionate about it and I I remember once uh, Russell Hedman was um, on the committee and he would, we we had a bluegrass band. We were, we had picked um, what what were they called it? It was our Ron Lyman. And, and, you know, they were, they were going to be the bluegrass band. And then we had had a gospel band that was supposed to be there, but they, they canceled and we didn't have anybody. And Russell's like, wait a minute. Listen to these guys. They do a great bluegrass acapella gospel set. So he's he found you know he had listened to the tapes in preparation for the meetings, and he's like, check these guys out. And we're like, okay, we've already got them there. They'll be the they'll be the gospel set, and then they'll do a set later in the morning. It's the bluegrass set. So it was just I really appreciated that people would bring their own insights and listen to the music, and you know we would have these. Uh, A lot of, you know, a lot of lively discussion. A couple of of the bands, you know, under my tenure were uh, we had this band called the String Cheese Incident that played at Mountain Fair and nobody had heard of them before, really. I mean, they were just they I mean, they did play at Telluride that year. So they were, you know, just kind of making their making their uh, presence known. Um, So that was that was a huge, fun uh, thing. We had leftover salmon, play um, uh, at least once. Um, Dan Sadowski and Washboard Jazz was uh, a great a great local favorite um, that they would come in and play. And you know, Pastor Mustard does a uh, well. He's got a special way of presenting his his scene, so it was fun having him and Washboard Jazz there. Um, you know what? Else? I also remember the Sirens of Swing were. Uh, they were kind of the Friday night staple for a long time at Mountain Fair. Um, you know, Barb Bush and Roberta Lewis and Barb, Bush. Yeah. Barb Um, So that that was good, you know, and always trying to get in the look blacks and trying to have a good mix of um, different genres and experiences. You know, what's been amazing about the mountain fair is how the musicians love it i mean they love carbondale they you know love steves or Katie and k whatever but you know if, if that's the first place you've ever played you know you've played in our area it's kind of like wow this is pretty cool and and that's part of it is like embracing the musicians and appreciating them and making it it really fun and and hospitable and not just for them but then all the you know the people that work at the fair you know the backstage you know it's now a very coveted thing to be backstage whereas it used to not even exist but that's a really special part of the fair
2: Olivia Pevic is one local who has performed on the main stage several times here she remembers what it's like to be on stage at her hometown mountain fair
8: and then the main and then the stage um it just has that that vibrancy of um, all the extraordinary bands that have played there, um, just ringing around the walls of the stage. And then um, the backstage scene is really just the best, the best. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and you feel like you're really right in the beating heart of um, the fair and of the community and the creative community that makes the fair happen. It's really special. Oh man, it's the best view in in town for a beautiful, a beautiful place full of beautiful views. There really is nothing like the view from the Mountain Fair stage. Um, it's like it's like uh, like from Red Hill or something. Like you're seeing the whole town, but super concentrated. All the people in uh, in one spot and. Um, yeah, it's really special. And, um, I have been a, the first, I think the first mountain stage performance I did was with, um, uh, Anne and Laura McCormick and Jenny Johnson as an a cappella group called odd one out. Uh, that was a really fun, somewhat short-lived project, but really, uh, great. And, then, I think all the pretty horses played. did we play main stage? Yes, before we were let them roar? yeah, I'm sure. and yeah, i can't can't remember for certain certain how that all went, but then, um at least a couple of times as as let them roar, if not a few <laughs> and um oh, it's it's amazing. It's wonderful. um we as let them roar, we always uh. Feel like Mountain Fair is like the most special gig that we could get. And so we work really hard in advance. We put in a lot of effort um, to put on a great show.
2: For many years, Luke Nessler was music director at KDNK, which broadcast the entire fair every year. It was he who was responsible for recording the Mountain Fairs beginning in 2006. Here he remembers a few of his favorite shows.
5: There were three or four. The first that comes to mind is the infamous String Dusters in 2012. And when you listen to the recording you could tell not only that the audience loved the string dusters, they were just gushing all over them, applause and everything, but it was mutual. The band felt the energy from the crowd, and you could tell it by listening to the recording. So that's one. I'd have to say both years that the band of heathens played, both of those stand out. Uh, In fact, I remember... Ed Jertie calling out the Cops and Tie-Dyes from the stage. They were blown away by the Cops and tie dyes They couldn't believe it. Uh, but musically, you know, and you know, the first time they were there is when they had the three front front guys. Colin was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were a different band when Col- with Colin than mm-hmm. they were without. But both shows just kicked ass. Band of Heathens, man, they, they're they just monsters on the road. They must have been on the road all the time. They played Carbondale three or four times a year, and I know Carbondale was a big favorite for them, and Mountain Fair must have blown their minds. They must have loved it. Uh, so that's one. I also, I really remember Diego's Umbrella. They were so effervescent, so upbeat, so positive, and uh, not to mention a really great dance band.
2: The Gorman brothers, James and Michael, are both part of the next generation primed to take over important positions with the Mountain Fair, and here they share a few musical memories.
12: Um, March 4th Marching Band, the, just a few years ago, was, was definitely a memorable moment with rain and rainbows. Moon Hooch, uh, one of my favorite acts I've, I've seen there. Um, I think some members from the string cheese incident, Bridget Law, um, are some some of my favorites. um and like I've said i've I've only been involved in the more recent years, but um I yeah, I travel a lot and see a lot of music everywhere and it's it's Caryl, it's a special place, and I think the, The artists definitely feel that it's a special place and feel like it's a special opportunity. And I think really give um, a good show for the community, um, no matter what, no matter how hard it is for them to get here. A lot of my favorite memories, though, were when it was like just a torrential downpour and people all kind of run and hide under the tents and everything until the band starts, you know, they come out there a little timid, you know, everyone's gone. There's just a muddy pit in front of them and there's like two or three people dancing in the rain and and then they they kind of pick up their pace and and pick up the energy and start gathering more and more people up to the front and before you know it it's this crazy like steaming dance party with people creating all this heat and energy and the rain still just dumping and you can like see the steam coming off the crowd and Then you forget that it's even cold out and something about the rain makes everyone go even even wilder and and you just kind of got to go for it. Another early memory was this one night, I think I was in high school. um, And this band canal was playing and it happened to be this like epic rainstorm. But the park was just completely packed and I was like. You know, the the crowd, the dance crowd went like all the way back into the food booths and Canal just had this epic light show that was like shining through the the pouring rain and it made these really cool light effects with like lasers or something and like natural fog and rain kind of going through there and it was this crazy like jungle trance that they had everybody in and the crowd was just super into it. And I think our parents like dropped us off there or let us go or stay late or whatever. And we were just blown away, like transported into this whole other like music festival realm.
2: Amy Kimberly was hired as the Mountain Fair director in 2004. In 2011, she also took on the directorship of the Carbondale Council on the Arts and Humanities. She came to the job after owning and running the Fly Me to the Moon Saloon in Telluride, so she had ample experience booking music. Here she talks about the pleasures and perils of booking the Carbondale Mountain Fair.
13: I was very well connected. I also started all the late night shows during Planet Bluegrass a thing called Nightgrass which I've since given to Planet Bluegrass and then I worked for Planet Bluegrass for 20 years. So I had very strong connections in the music business and when I came here I was able to put them to good use. I I actually worked with the town on the first summer of music concerts and started bringing in good acts and and then from there elevated to the Mountain Fair. We tried, No band can play two years in a row, generally. Bands have played last year. It's a different thing, and this year will be a different thing. But generally, we don't have the same band two years in a row. There are bands that have played. I mean, band heathens have played more than once. Motet has played maybe three times over the years. Um, Let Them Roar, Tierro in many different forms. Uh, Bridget and Tierro did play just maybe three years ago. Um, let them roar. So you can play, oh, Diego's Umbrella, we had them a couple times. So you can't play, you just can't play two years in a row. That first year, I booked, um, I remember, Cabaret Diosa and the Motet. I mean, my first year, I went big, 2004. And what I remember is, one of the things that I was told was that Thomas would usually take the lineup and run it by the police to kind of get there okay, because there had been a lot of problems over the years with the neighbors and the sound and the bands. And so the feeling was, you maybe play your, your biggest band, not at the end, but right before the end, and then you have a mellow band at the end. Well, I'd come from working a lot of festivals and I had never heard of anyone that had to run their lineups by the police, and I absolutely refused to do that. And also, I come from a world where, you know, you kind of want to end on a high note. You don't want to, like, take it up and then all of a sudden, you know, take it down. Um, So I just kind of changed that culture, and I was like, no, we're just, these are the bands we're going to have. This is the lineup. We're going to do this. Oh, my God. Some of the most amazing performances still to this day that I remember were in that 2004. I mean, Cabaret Diosa and Motet, it just could not have gotten any higher. And so Saturday night, Cabaret Diosa just like put on the whole audience. There's like 5,000 people there. It was just everybody Saturday night was just clapping. And, you know, it was just a great high ending And it was, you know, nine. It was like a minute to nine. And I wanted uh, Cabaret Dio said, the whole audience, everybody wanted an encore. Come on. So in my mind, I'm like, you know, sure. Yes, you've got to go out there and play. Big deal if we go 10 minutes after nine o'clock. Everybody's going to live. So they go out there and play. The whole crowd's excited. And all of a sudden, the cops are, are swarming the stage and they're about to arrest the band in front of all these people. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, I got them off, let the band finish. So then when the band was coming off, all of a sudden I see they're trying to arrest uh, David Sherman, who was the leader of the band. I was like, you guys, we can't, you can't arrest the band because they went 10 minutes over. Like, if you have problems, you have to come talk to me. So th- I got off to a rocky start. Needless to say, uh, because the next night it was like motet. And once again, there's 5,000 people out there. And, you know, I I went a little over.
2: The backstage scene and its physical makeup evolved like everything else at Mountain Fair.
11: And then what I remember is um, backstage was nothing. We had no backstage (laughs) back then. It wasn't until a few years later that Nancy Becker, who took over after me, She's like, hey, these musicians need a green room. They need a whole backstage thing. And so she had that, you know, that musician, you know, insider view. So she really brought that level up. She was the first one to step up the backstage scene. Nancy yeah. Becker, she was married to T. Ray Becker, and then it evolved into John Hutchison, who was a good friend of Thomas Holly's from the Peonia side. He started bringing t- uh, parachutes and big canvases and started providing some actual cover and then then it then these rooms were created back there like the changing room and then there was a bar that was created and you know different you know bringing furniture in Mm -hmm. all those kinds of things so he and carpets so he really brought in that flair for hey you know as he's a musician he played a mountain fair a few times in the band rosewood but he had that sense and he's a super creative Mm -hmm. an amazing person that was classic mountain fair material and would he helped really create that and string up those things i mean you get there and he he wouldn't really have a plan necessarily but he would be hey what do we got in this bag kind of thing and and really figure it out so i really he really pushed that along and then he has had this amazing trove of costumes Mm -hmm. and Things to hang on the walls or, you know, trumpets, random trumpets or harps or mirrors or or crystal balls or whatever it was.
10: People would talk about the pleasures of the Sherpa. So a lot of us who are working on the fair, depending upon what you're doing, it almost feels like you aren't at the fair. When I was working at the Oasis, we did uh, 21 or 22 acts over the course of the weekend. And I was doing all of the sound setup, helping the people get their equipment from their vehicle, and introducing them, and getting the seats arranged. So I would get to drop in on the fair, but I almost wasn't at the fair in some ways. It was, you know, it's kind of a its own little world down there. And the backstage is kind of like that. There are people who, uh, at that time, at least. Uh, would pretty much camp out for the weekend backstage. And they had a... uh, I guess I wasn't really around for the 60s. I was uh, little. But that's kind of my imagination, that people just kind of hangers-on who always have the right tools for mind alteration and the... Uh, willingness to share, and kind of scene makers. And so they would sort of set the tone. And then a lot of these bands would be pretty happy and not necessarily want to just go sit in a hotel or somebody's house somewhere. And um, so they would want to hang out backstage. And some of the really great uh, performances would happen uh, unplugged back in the pleasure palace and they would you know uh they would take the pleasures of the sherpa as well as everyone else and as long as things you know uh stayed relatively sane there there didn't seem to be anybody harmed by it and uh it's like it was a very peaceful happy happy setting and it would be a celebration for the people who had just really worked hard all day and it needed a chance to have that feeling of of celebration to be able to get up the next day and go out and whether they're Peace Patrol or uh, doing trash or selling beer or whatever, they needed a little chance to, to have some fun too before the, the night was over.
13: There are some real characters that... Uh that always are backstage and show up. And there's just, I mean, they just are part of the scenery and there are people that have been part of this community for a long time. Um Roy Rickus, there's not, I just saw him the other day. I was like, Oh my God, you're still alive, Roy. That is awesome. You've got to stay alive till our 50th, but I don't know how old he is, but We have pictures of Roy in the old days, and honestly, he looks pretty much like he does now with a turban, and he's skinny, and he always hand-rolls his cigarettes. He just comes in, and even the backstage security can't stop him, nor should they. What are you going to do with Roy? He deserves to be back there. Uh, Thomas O., who worked for uh, Thomas Lawley for many years and lives in Paonia, he usually shows up. Um, and of course, you know he put in many years. Uh, you know it runs the gamut. Jim Calloway, you know he occasionally would show up, and we'd we'd let him be back there. So you, you, it's just funny. The I on I honor all people who have really put in the time. And if you if you're supposed to be back there, I absolutely get that part, and you are. But <laughs> but it's very interesting. Well, the backstage is a work of art itself. It, it really is. And this was started long before I became part of the fair. I'm, I'm pretty sure Thomas Lawley and John Hutchison really started, amped up the backstage. So a huge tent. There's parachutes that kind of go out over the the ditch. Sometimes there's floaties in the ditch. Uh, not so much anymore, but back in the day. Um, giant swamp cooler that Kevin, we, I've always got to uh, give a shout out to Kevy because he's been there so many years. He worked, he still works for a uh, solar company, but he worked for SEI. And so he would bring this giant swamp cooler with these solar batteries and hook that thing up. And believe me, it is hot during the fair. So that swamp cooler uh, is huge. I believe Tiero even talks about it. That is a, a big plus backstage. We have a whole team of people that come. They're called the Fluff Crew. They come in there and they create magic back there with whatever we have. In, in, in more current years, Chris Hassick has been one of my best uh, backstage Fluff Crews, but Maddie Curry, Katrina, uh, and so many backstage crew people that have really kept it going. Rochelle... Um, it's beautiful what happens back there. So we have an incredible spot with like Persian rugs on the floors, huge wide open. We we serve food now so that we could have more good fresh ingredients. Probably won't do it this year because of COVID, but the, the people will go to the vendors to get their food. But it's, it's a, f- a very wonderful vibe. Well, I will say uh, a funny story about the infamous String Dusters cause I, is that they put on this incredible show, right? And then they just wanted to be by themselves for a little bit. Well, after the final act of every show, of course, that's when all the supervisors and their families and, you know, the, the tribe pours in backstage, as they should. It's their backstage. But the band had decided, so we have these little rooms. So we have, we have a, a secret room that is always part of the backstage, and and things do happen in the secret room that are now legal, but for many years weren't. Uh, and so the band was just trying to seclude in in a place by themselves, and a few of a few of our. <laughs> Uh, people had maybe had a little too much to drink, and and thought the band was being snobby by not being out with all of them. <laughs> so that required some real diplomacy, and in trying to explain that you know they they're not being snobby; they're just trying to come down from their performance.
12: But I was like getting into trying to hang out with these cute girls from Carbondale, and they had this cool booth there, and. I knew that they were hanging out backstage. So, you know, at the end of one of the nights, somehow I, a friend got me back there and I got to check out the backstage and I was hanging out with all these cool Carbondale girls. And it just felt so like, uh, kind of this like rock star vibe back there with everyone who just finished up a big hard day at the fair and they're relaxing in the back and there was couches and all kinds of tapestries and stuff. It was decorated really cool. And and then I was like, wow, I wanna, you know, be more a part of this back here and like help build this stuff and, and get more involved. Um, so that's probably, that's what really sparked my interest in volunteering and and getting involved.
8: The backstage, is really just the best,
2: the best. Only in the last decade has spoken word from the gazebo stage been featured between musical acts, but there have been some stirring original poems performed. Here are two performed by Alessa Zelina and Uche Obuji.
14: We are a blamed generation, forgotten who our founding fathers are. You ruined this country, they claim, but who raised us, taught us wrong from right, used our blood to paint a new America, no trace of your time here. But we didn't invent the economy, and we didn't turn America into a money-hungry dichotomy. We are doing the best with what we have left, while you continue to strip us of our our rights and refuse to call it theft. In New America, corporation means in command. Political campaign means race for more funding. Paycheck means taxes, not food for your family. Taxes means lining their pockets while you blame the system. Political party means who's right and who's better. Soldiers dying just to prove a point is casually labeled as war. Terrorism is only seen as Muslim when while school shooters are only labeled as mentally ill. Black males seen as target practice, and freedom of speech an open invitation for rubber bullets and tear gas. And New America, your skin color determines your definition of oppression. <sighs> Marriage is just another title for a lawmaker's guidebook on whose hand you're allowed to hold. human rights and sovereignty traded in for fast cash. We have questions about the Constitution, but we don't know who to ask. Prison went from justice to a billion-dollar industry, yet you still question why some of us are afraid to live in this country. Media spews stories like appetite suppressors because they know our hunger for truth can never be relieved immigrants seen as the scum of this nation when we forget that our ancestors are all foreign here. I could give you a more extensive list of what new America has to offer, but it wouldn't be so pretty because we've all worked so hard to paint this picturesque image of freedom and opportunity, but we are run by paper and misinformed. We shut up and never question. We've lost touch of what America truly should be, and we don't know what it feels like to be truly free. So let's go back to what our constitution stated and make America a country our fathers would've been proud to have created America your people are crying for you what have we done what are we doing to ourselves America our shackles are a bit too tight for a country founded on freedom thank you the young people of our community
15: ladies and gentlemen We see the great people who are elders to us all, but we shall respect their names, we shall respect their tongues, their proper names, like this, Dine, Inde, Newe, Winik, Salish, Hopi, Aashui, Pikuni, La Cotada, Cotana, Cotatan, Tein, Nicohokue, Banaku, Nunchi U, Hinonameno, Tatetasa, Alto Lususa, Katunaksa, Kulispe, Shitsu Uns, Second Edine, Nietzapi, Sixikawa. There are even more like this Nimi, Numa, Sulix, Maya, Nahua, Benza, Mefa. So, still, niemi Waila, We, Ne, 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 Nato, Raramuri, Winik, Ketel, Tachi, Hu,i,in, Nyahnyu, Aya, Kutiputi, Kalakaten, again, Dine, Inde, Newe, Winik, Selish, Hopi, Aashui, Kikuni la kote da kote na kote tsatsen te inikohuguwe banakup nunci u hinonone no tsete tsatsa abso loksah there can be enough room for our many in this great land but we must earn our space by being ready to stand with indigenous genius where the bald eagle calls interceding to heed the people who are elders to us all respect their tongues respect their proper names like this raramuri winikatel. This is a salute to the First Nations from a center here in Colorado, up north through Chill Country to the Arctic Circle, Nunavut, out east to the Great, through the Great Plains to the nations of first contact with Europe, Wampanoag. Down south, through Mestizo country, to present-day Guatemala, Raramuri. And let's not forget the great nations of the Pacific. We see you, elders. It's taken too damn long, but we see you. Peace!
2: You definitely don't want to miss the next five episodes of the Carbondale Mountain Fair Podcast Project. They are a deep dive into the recordings of the Mountain Fair music. That's six and a half hours of great live music since 2000.
0: This podcast was created with the same love and care that the Carbondale Mountain Fair has been created with for 50 years. Special thanks go to Luke Nessler, Amy Kimberly, Terry Glassnap, Steve Cole, Carbondale Arts, Katie and Kay and the Carbondale Historical Society.